The following show on 1350 ESPN is paid for by Casper Media, LLC. This is USA Takedown, the best guess. All the hot news and predictions on combat sports of wrestling and MMA with your host, the true American, Scott Casper. Connect with him now on social media and check out usatakedown.com. Now, it's time for USA Takedown. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the program. We are in the Wild Rose Casino Studios. What fun we had last week being on the road in Jefferson, Iowa. Uh, the fights were outstanding. The radio program Kira produced uh, turned out great. That was our first road show as we've moved to ESPN, and we're glad to have done it and glad you're listening. We appreciate that. It's USA Takedown, everybody. Our Defense Soap Newsmaker Hotline guests today include a visit with Jack Roller, uh, the founder of Rollers World of Wrestling, uh, Chris Chewy Chianoma, Numa, pardon me, Chianuma, uh, former Oklahoma State, great, and also a new associate head coach at uh, Cal Poly. We love that idea that, you know, you can spread the wealth a little bit by just naming an associate head coach. John Azevedo, uh, that's a name that has been around this sport for a long, long time. And John Azevedo will be joining us from California. Joe Stacy, my buddy, the broadcast voice of the Iowa Barnstormers, will be joining us to talk a little bit about tomorrow's game. I'll be uh, there announcing that as well. Jack Spates, you remember Jack Spates, uh, the accolades that uh, Jack accumulated throughout his collegiate campaign and his coaching campaign uh, are numerous and you know definitely deserved. Jeremy Spates, his son, is our first guest, however, uh, and this portion of the show brought to you by our friends at here.com. That's here.com forward slash Casper. And again, thanks to our friends at Wild Rose Casino and Barbarian Apparel. We go now to Jeremy Spates. He's the head coach at SIUE. And I'm talking about Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. He joins us now. Jeremy, good morning. How are you? Hey, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well, but, you know, it, it seems like once a quarter or so, I get the opportunity to to speak with you and always such a positive outlook. Um, You know, we're coming off doing the mental health show just a half hour ago. And we talked about um, with, with a guy named Scott Bruxford. He was a former division one division two six foot four basketball star. But we talk about transitioning and on the very eve of the, uh, the Olympic games, we talk about transitioning from elite level athlete, to not having all that support mechanism around it. You've seen it. You've been up close and personal to many athletic departments around the country, and you see these athletes perhaps struggle uh, making that uh, the, that transition. It's it's a scary world out there, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, when when you're an athlete, you have that single focus, and, and you're, you know, kind of have the blinders on, and then, then when you get out to the real world, it's like, what am I've been focused on this, these goals for the last, you know, five, 10 years. Now, now what am I doing? Or for some even longer, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I remember having that feeling, uh, after my last NCAA tournament. So I understand that. Yeah. You're, it's like running, running, running. And all of a sudden somebody pumps the brakes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Jeremy Spates joins us again on this very program. One of my favorite guests, uh, he was brought up the right way by good people. And uh, I have so much respect for your parents. Uh, I also have a great deal of respect for you. Uh, you made a decision 
to attend a different school than your father was coaching at. And I always thought, my goodness, you know, how difficult it could be to coach one's son or one's daughter. Uh, the expectations on both are pretty high. It's a dangerous water in many uh, cases. You went to Missouri and had a stellar career there. How long has it been since you talked with Coach Smith? Uh, I keep in touch with Coach Smith uh, pretty pretty well, you know, especially, unfortunately, you know, they're leaving going back to the Big 12. Right. Uh, but when we were in the MAC, you know, we would uh, be on the coaches' conferences, things like that. But uh, I talk to Coach Smith probably once every couple months at least if we're not talking about scheduling or wrestling stuff, uh, just checking in, seeing how he's doing, things like that. So uh, always, Coach has always been a mentor to me. Um, and, uh, you know, also now as, as we've gotten to be colleagues or friends. So cool. L- love Coach Smith and Denise. And you are in uh, the MAC or the Mid-American Conference. Uh, and by the way, uh, you are presenting well. Your teams and uh, athletes are scoring well academically. Uh, and I know that's very important to you, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we, we've had uh, academic All-Americans the last couple of years with Justin Ruffin and, and Paul Urban and uh, had over a 3.0 GPA this year. Um, which is very important, and we talk about that with our recruits um, and our athletes a lot, being three-pronged athletes, being, doing things in the community, doing things well academically, and um, obviously in the in the athletic arena. Uh, but one of the biggest things that I'm proud of is our job placement rate, and oh. that's something that we talk a lot about. I mean, we've got guys teaching and coaching. We've got guys in medical sales. We've got uh, a guy in medical school right now finishing up. Uh, Jake Tindall uh, went into the Air Force to get his medical degree when he graduated with us. So that's something we talk a lot about. Even last year uh, during the pandemic, we had uh, three graduate and get jobs right away within the first month or two. So that's something we want them doing well academically. We want that GPA to be up there, but we really want to be setting them up for the rest of their lives in, in that transition like you talked about at the beginning. There it is. See how we come around there, Kara? We, we, we go full 360. By the way, make sure your mic's open. All right. Um, talk to us about uh, Irvin. You mentioned him in particular, but both he and Ruffin were listed as uh, national qualifiers uh, You know, back in uh, uh, March, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, We've had... Uh, two or three national qualifiers for the last seven years. And it, it's a good and a bad stat because, you know, we're sending a, a couple guys every year, but <clears throat> we want to bring, be bringing six or seven. So uh, we have three returning national qualifiers this year with uh, Saul um, qualifying last year, Saul Irvin. Justin Ruffin is actually a three-time national qualifier for us now. And Unfortunately, due to injury and COVID, he's only got to wrestle at the tournament once, but he'll get a couple more shots at it. And then Colton McKiernan, uh, our heavyweight, qualified two years ago, and uh, just missed—I guess three years ago—just missed the last two years. But uh, all three of those guys are back, and we've got some other guys that are uh, looking to get to the tournament as well. Now, uh, where was the MAC championship last year? Last year we were at Ryder, so out in New Jersey. Okay. I love Ryder's <clears throat> campus. Good people there. Johnny Henge. Yep. And I'm sure Gary Taylor made an appearance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't have many fans, but I'm sure Coach Taylor put, could have found a way in there. Yeah, I've I, I got to believe there was. Hey, you know, speaking of not many fans, 
Uh, what is your take on uh, uh, COVID and how it's affected recruiting? What are your thoughts about COVID's effect on recruiting? You know, it's it's been interesting because you saw a lot of kids signing without seeing campuses, without, you know, being around teams, things like that. So it was really a, a, an interesting time in the recruiting landscape. For, for us, it was tough because not a lot of people know about SIUE. And uh, even if you know about the school through wrestling or something like that, if you've never been to Edwardsville, you don't really know where it is. And, and I had the same thing when I, when they, uh, when I came out for my interview here, you know, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know if I want to leave Cornell. I love it there. And then right. When I came here and I saw the campus and I saw the town, it's a beautiful little town. And I met all the people in the athletic department and the other coaches. And I was like, man, this is, this is a great place to be. And I could, I think I could see myself uh, coaching here. And so that's a big, asset for us is getting people here our mm-hmm. campus is beautiful there's a lake on campus woods you see deer you see foxes that as you're driving in things like that um it's a newer campus so it was uh founded in 1957 i believe so a lot of the buildings are newer and they do a really good job of keeping everything up so that really hurt us in particular is not getting people here to meet everybody we got a great group of guys mentioned Saul and Justin and Colton, we've got a great team right now as far as guys that are doing the right things, a fun group to be around, a hardworking group. And so they usually attract the recruits to us. And, and when recruits and their parents come down and they see everything, they're, they're kind of blown away because you don't expect it um, until you get here. So I know that was really hard for us. And then also just having to adapt to, you know, I mean, we were doing zoom zooms with with uh recruits and their families and doing zooms with our team and you know it it just changed the whole way we do things isolation that's uh that's the greatest uh uh one single word descriptor i think of um what the COVID has has provided us the sense of being isolated the sense of um and it's not just self-isolation, it's mandated isolation. You know, our our athletes yeah. are some of the best prepared, but, you know, when fall comes around, you start seeing illness prop up. Um, you know, you've been uh, a party to that. I've been a party to it. Uh, in that, you know, our athletes, as keyed as they are physically, it seems to me that they fall quickly. I, there's got to be some fear out there about... Um, uh, COVID and what it can do for our high-level athletes because they're just absolutely on target weight-wise and everything has to fall into place and then all of a sudden here comes uh, uh, COVID. You know, that, that to me is just a very scary place, but you guys have handled it well. I think wrestling in general has handled it well uh, and proving out that we can have limited competition. The the RTCs, in my estimation anyway, are, are probably one of the uh, the greatest examples of how an event can be held and still entertain the audience, keeping them plugged into our sport, which is one of our biggest challenges, right? Um, yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, when you saw some of those highlight events going on, when, when it was it had to be smaller events, things like that, it, it really, I think it gave us some hope, like, oh, it, things are coming back. You know, we're going to be able to have, even though it's Division One, we had a shortened season, but we might be able to get through a season, you know, things like that. So definitely uh, great to see people getting out there and competing again. 
All right, let's talk a little bit about some of the recruits from 2020, in particular Austin Cooley at 97. Tell us about this Piedmont, Oklahoma kid. Uh, Austin is a great kid, had a, had a, a tough transition. You know, those, those guys, they came in, um, and some of, we, we had, uh, some positive cases some quarantines, things like that. Right. So, uh, it, uh, I wouldn't have wanted to be a freshman in 2020 with COVID. Um, and Austin had, uh, had one of the toughest situations I would say. Uh, that I've seen a freshman have, and, and he did a good job handling it and uh, got through got through his freshman year. Um, and then it's uh, interesting that you bring up Austin in the first one because Austin decided that he is going to go the military route. So is that joined, right? Yeah, he joined the Marines. He loves wrestling, but school was just not for him. Is he going to check out Greco or what? I, I hope Austin continues to wrestle. We'll see what he does. Um, I think, like I said, that really tough first year um and he had some family situations back home and things like that so he just decided the military route was going to be better for him but we'll see because he's a talented talented wrestler and a good kid so he's he, he's gonna look good in, a, in the marine corps blues i'll tell you that right now yeah he, he definitely <laughs> has you know some kids talk military it's some some of the kids when you're recruiting, they're talking academies and things like that. You definitely have to have a military mindset mm-hmm. uh, if you're gonna. I, I I couldn't do it. I give those guys a lot of credit. No, um, I couldn't. But do it. Uh, <laughs> Austin is the kind of kid that could could do it and and succeed there. So I think it'll be a good future for him. I got my taste of it a, a, a week and a half. I think it was ten days in in the Marine Corps boot camp in San Diego, and uh, that was fun for me because I knew I could go to my hotel at the end of the day. Okay. But we got to do an awful lot of the stuff that they do in basic. And, uh, then when I was on the ground in Afghanistan and Iraq on a USO tour with many of our great fighters, Kevin Randleman included, um, I, I, I saw, uh, military on the front line and I saw military in training. And let me tell you what, that's a structured life. If you think wrestling and wrestling practice and wrestling competition, living the lifestyle, uh, is is tough and and uh, uh, segmented and segregated. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of similarities in the mentalities. You know, the the work ethic, the the sacrifice, things like that. So I I think a lot of times it does kind of go hand in hand. I know we've had the uh, marine leadership. Um, has come out and done some team building activities with us in the past and things like that. So definitely uh, a lot of similarities. You are, I got to believe that Illinois as a state is a great place to recruit. Uh, How important is having um, uh, some of the uh, team from Illinois? Oh, it's, it's a, it's an awesome, we're in an awesome area just in general, obviously Illinois, but, bordering Missouri, uh, not too far away from Iowa, Oklahoma, Wisconsin's really growing the last few years. We got a couple good, uh, couple of Askren kids on our team. Um, but, uh, the state of Illinois, it, you know, I knew coming in, it was a really good wrestling state, but when I came here, I was up at, uh, my first year up at the Deborah tournament up in, uh, Chicagoland area. And I'm watching kids for fifth and sixth in this tournament. 
man, these kids are really good. <laughs> and so just the depth. I mean, you go to any state and you're going to find good wrestling, but the depth that is here um, and just, you go to you go to some of these club practices or you know i help coach team illinois uh for the fargo team and you know you're watching these kids in practice and you're like man these kids know how to wrestle right. uh so it, it it is fun it's uh it's it's been really neat to learn the state and uh learn the different programs and, and meet all the different people so i feel like i'm part of it after eight years now here Bloomington, Illinois, uh, is a hot spot for wrestling in the state of Illinois. And Ryan Gardner, by the way, I think the transfer portal has to, to kind of add on to what you were just talking about, you know, kids perhaps uh, being recruited or making a commitment, having never been on a college campus. Transfer portal has come along at the right time for those guys. Uh, yeah. and, and there's not a coach in the country that wants a kid to remain if he's not going to be happy. Yep. Uh, so I think that's just an important aside, at least from my perspective. Ryan Gardner is a 141-pounder that you picked up out of Bloomington, Illinois. What can you tell us? Yeah, Ryan. Uh, Ryan's a good kid. He uh, he came in one, another tough situation. You know, he uh, ended up having to sit out for a while um, with the COVID protocols and everything. And then, unfortunately, when he came back, poor kid had shoulder surgery. So. Oh boy. Um, he didn't get to see the match this year, but uh, he um, obviously two-time state placer in the state of Illinois. His dad's a longtime coach up there in Bloomington, so he knows what he's doing. We're excited to hopefully get him uh, get him in the room and on the mats a lot more this year, and I know that was tough for Ryan last year, so uh, I, I'm sure he's excited about being back healthy and, and getting in there and being part of it this year. Wearing her Ouija board uh, sweatshirt hoodie in studios, our producer Kira Jones. Kira, did you have a question for for Jeremy? Uh, not really. Did a we already skip past it? I'm sorry. Oh no, not really a question as much as a comment. Yeah. Um, on a couple things that you almost went to Southern Illinois, right? Yeah, I did. I almost went to SIUE. Um, I lived in St. Louis through high school and middle school. Um, and that was one of the schools I was looking at for music. Maryville was the other one for music therapy. Um, so that's that's a cool connection. And it's cool yeah. to hear about uh, the wrestling programs at these schools, because I've got to be honest with you, athletics was not my thing. Huh. <laughs> I never would have guessed that. <laughs> uh, marching band was. That's the most athletic uh, thing that Tough. I ever did in school. Um but another thing, I think that if anything, if I'm I'm kind of looking at COVID a little more optimistically now, and I think that a few things are going to come out of this that are actually going to be really progressive and really cool. And I think that the transfer portal is one of those things. Um, I think without COVID, I don't know if the transfer portal would exist, if I've got to be honest. Well, the king of the transfer portal right now has got to be Nick Suriano. <laughs> you know, he's... I uh, I was very shocked by that, <laughs> seeing that yesterday. Has he made his announcement where he's going yet? I haven't seen anything, and I, I don't know how that works, because I guess if he's a graduate, he can transfer, but I thought it with a double transfer, it was going to be interesting, so... Well. Um, you know what? The, we're, we're doing exactly what we preach. We're seeing exactly what we've been preaching. Go to where you're comfortable. Learn all you can. 
And if there's something you're missing where you're at, go to the next spot. We're seeing that Kyle Snyder, for goodness sakes, whoever yeah. thought you'd see him at Penn State, right? Yeah. Um, Didn't, did not think that. No, me neither. Um, but then again, you know, coaches that are, are quality coaches like yourself uh, want to help those high-level athletes achieve those dreams, achieve those hopes. And uh, Caden Green is one of those guys out of Kearney, Missouri. He's a, you know, a great kid, comes from a tough program. And it's that hard-nosed wrestler that gets in the room like Caden. Uh, that has to be a real joy for you. Yeah, Caden's awesome, and, and he was uh, back home for a few weeks, and then he's out here training now, uh, back here uh, with us for a few more weeks before he's going to go home for like a week or so before school. But Caden uh, was a pleasant surprise. We, we uh, you know, knew he was tough. Obviously, he had won at a pretty high level. But uh, to be honest, I wasn't sure exactly how he was going to transition to college. Um, and when he came in and, and we saw him wrestling in the room and everything, it was like, oh, he's going to transition fine. You know, uh, the things that he does, he, he, his technique is very good. Um, he's, he's really sharp at his drilling and things like that. So, no, very excited about Caden. Uh, he um, wrestled, didn't get to wrestle in any matches with our shortened season and everything, but uh, we're really excited to get him on the mat and see, see what he can do. It's always good to talk to you, Jeremy. Next up is your dad. Looking forward to that conversation as well. Thank you so much for reaching out a week and a half, two weeks ago. It's always good to hear from you. So best to you and your fam and best to your team. I know you're doing things right there. Great facilities, outstanding facilities, SIUE Cougars. Follow them online, SIUECougars.com. The head coach has been our guest. He's our buddy, Jeremy Space. Jeremy, thank you. Thanks so much. I appreciate you guys, as always. Oh, it's always a good conversation. We appreciate your love of the sport so much. All right, stay tuned. There's more. Thanks, Our Defense Hope Newsmaker Hotline's uh, next guest will be Jack Spade. Stay tuned. You're listening to USA Takedown. Scott Casper, Kara Jones on Iowa Sports Leader. This is 1350 ESPN. More coverage of wrestling and MMA continues after this timeout here on USA Takedown, only on 1350 ESPN. Des Moines Sports Leader. Welcome back to the show. It is USA Takedown. <laughs> Brought to you by Here.com. Great hearing aids, incredible prices, outstanding customer service. Here.com forward slash Casper, best prices. Northwestern Mutual, Wild Rose Casino and Resorts, and by PBS Landscaping, our friends at Mullet's Restaurant on Des Moines South Side, Hassel Free Marketing, and Mark Cody and his uh, Presbyterian College Blue Hose program. Now, we had a conversation with Jeremy Spates. Well, there is a patriarch to that uh, to that family, and his name is Jack. He's my buddy, and uh, we call him Brother Jack Spates. He joins us now. How are you, Jack? I'm doing great, Scott. It's good to see you remember your ancient history. <laughs> it ain't that far, it ain't that far looking back. So, and if we're together, it's always a good time. Um, first of all, welcome back to the show, Jack. And for those of you that remember Jack, let me just put it uh, in a little bit finer focus. Uh, former head wrestling coach, University of Oklahoma, leading the Sooners to seven top ten finishes in the NCAA tournament, one Big Twelve Conference championship. Prior to joining Oklahoma in 93, our guest was the head coach at Cornell University and then served as an assistant at the United States Military Academy and the University of Pittsburgh. 
<coughs> even further back, pardon me, as a wrestler, uh, Jack was the 73 NCAA runner-up at 118 for Slippery Rock, and that's where I stopped, okay? And the reason I want to stop there is because I think, and there's some uh, rumblings out there, that Slippery Rock may be considering adding wrestling back to their athletic offerings. Jack, what is your uh, knowledge of this? I, I really have uh, no knowledge of it. I know it's been talked about. There have been plans put in place. It really makes a lot of sense. What you need to do, and this is what Mike Moyer's done so brilliantly, we've added hundreds and hundreds of programs in the last few years, mostly NAIA, D2, D3, but some Division One programs. You have to get your president on board right. and, and help them to understand that it's enrollment-driven. Right. In other words, if you bring in 30, 35 people or you bring in women and double it, okay, then the university can afford to fund it through athletics and still make a significant amount of money. That's it. So it's, it's I'm kids. hopeful that this is the case because it was just a great, great tradition. What athletic department, if you bring in 30 plus 30, right, so male and female, we're talking yep. about over a million dollars benefit to the athletic department in general to the university. And and sometimes it's a lot more than a million dollars. But let's just stop there because a million bucks to an athletic department for a program that may cost $150,000, 250000 or thereabouts a year plus salary, you know, that's that's an incredible thing yeah. to do. That's a smart thing to do. And if you balance well, the only the thing, act, Scott, yeah. Scott, let me interrupt. Just I, I don't think there are any monies or very little money, okay, that are going to the athletic department. That's why you got to get the presidents on board. In other words, all the tuition, all the room and board goes to the university. First. You see? The only thing that comes to the uh, athletic program is really attendance, which is usually not that much, certainly not enough to offset the cost. But if the, uh, if the university administration understands how much they're getting, then they can fund that small, relatively small amount to the athletic department and still do well. The reason athletic directors don't generally want to add these programs is because it's more work right. and they don't get a financial benefit. They have to scramble and work to get you know, the money. But if the, athletic, if the university administration will fund it, which they should, it's in their best interest, right. it's a win-win. Okay, so I, I was a little backwards on that, and, 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 and I stand corrected, but... Uh, Jack, you've you've been at the very top uh, of of the wrestling heap when it comes to universities, when it comes to coaching. Um, recently, uh, you know, a few months back, Stanford announced that they were dropping eleven varsity level sports, wrestling being included in that list. And you know, my take on the deal is that Stanford made a huge mistake when they uh, spoke out and said we're dropping these eleven or ten or eleven sports, right? And they did it all at once. That's a much larger group of people complaining and voicing their opinions publicly. Stanford did not need that negative uh, uh, publicity at all, and but it did serve a purpose, and I think it rallied the troops for all of those sports to be a little bit more supportive, to, to endow as much as they possibly could those programs so it doesn't become a problem. However, Stanford in and of itself has one of the largest endowments at any university in the country, dare I say, even in the world. And yet they were saying they were doing it for budget uh, 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 be uh, benefits. And, uh, you know, when, 
you know, they get, when they made those announcements, a lot of those coaches found other jobs. A lot of the athletes went away. Uh, now they're having to start over square one. But could there be a better coach in the country, better than the one that they chose to take over from Borelli? They put in Rob Cole, one of the cats you you helped to train. Well, let me say this. First of all, Jason Borelli is a great person yes. and a great coach. Yes. But three words, watch Stanford fly. Amen. Because Rob Cole is simply exceptional. And this has reinvigorated, if you've talked to him, uh, this has just totally reinvigorated him. He's excited about embracing the new <laughs> challenge, and he's going to embrace it very well. I think this is a great way for him to end his career. Amen, brother. Amen. We talked about, uh, in in a show prior to this, um, earlier today, we talked to a high-level athlete, a Division One, Division Two basketball player, who struggled with addiction, who struggled with alcoholism, and struggled with his career, and you might understand why. But, uh, you know, when you think about the Olympics that are going on, athletes that are there, this may be their last Olympic cycle, their last touch with uh, uh, flirting with greatness, flirting with the record books. But uh, now they've got to turn around and face the reality of real life. And they're, they're in, that's the slippery rock, as it were. You know what I mean? That's the... <laughs> Unintended. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I really don't. And I apologize for everybody. But um, this is a, an, an interesting time because it's perhaps the most looked at of all Olympic games uh, of the modern era uh, because of COVID. But we're seeing athletes really struggling with not being able to compete because they're quarantined or because somebody on their team has tested positive. But um, I, I don't know how I would handle it as a head coach. Or, and, you know, we have some of the very best coaches there. Uh, but how would you handle this whole situation, Jack? It's got to be uh, as much hand-holding as anything, because not physically hand-holding, but you understand, yeah. uh, taking care of these kids mentally. Yeah, that that's the tragedy of it, that you can't handle, you couldn't at least, and handhold you couldn't put your arm around the shoulders you couldn't hardly be with them right you know and and as a result there's so much such a spike in depression such a spike in suicide mm -hmm. and and hopelessness uh i think the key is you just have to uh spend as much time as you can investing in those guys in phone calls in zoom maybe doing some fun things online and getting them tied into uh, you know, professional resources, your your sports psychology and, and psychological offices. And then, of course, I'm a person of faith. Uh, as much as they would be open and receptive, and of course, nothing like this. One, you can't legally impose it upon others. And, and secondly, you can't practically. Faith is not something you can impose on someone. Right. But encourage them in the hope. For me as a follower of Christ, that's in Jesus. He is a friend, isn't he? That is yeah, the, most definitely, and yeah. a savior. Savior. All right, um, we're talking with Jack Spates. He's uh, been kind enough to join us many times over the years. We're grateful for that opportunity. Picking his brain, having the conversation in and about our sport is always a wonderful trip for me. And you wonder what Jack's record was as a competitor? Here it is. Ready? 108-9-0. Oh. 108-9-0. Oh. Oh. Upon completion of your uh, competitive career, 
What was that like for you mentally? Were you ready to make the adjustment, the change to uh, potential coaching positions? Uh, you know, how did you handle that transition? Uh, to be honest with you, it, you know, I just really understood that it was what it was. My eligibility was out. I really didn't have an inclination towards freestyle. I'd competed in a few things, but, uh, so I was just ready for the next adventure, which for me was graduate school in a, in a Protestant seminary. And trust me, that was a new challenge. <laughs> I went from uh, not having done much schoolwork in my last eight years. I had a good memory and an ability to communicate, but I learned very little in college in my last three years of high school. Interestingly enough, my first nine years were Catholic school where learning was not optional. And I had a great education, but now I find myself taking Greek and Hebrew and really what the Bible is, is biblical law. It's like going to law school. And I was fighting for my life, but I loved it and loved learning about God and loved, loved the challenge. Well, there came a time in your life when you wanted to dedicate more time to following, uh, you know, your current career and that being of a of dis- not just a disciple, but somebody who actually understands it enough and puts enough into it to be able to deliver it unto others. And that's perhaps the greatest part of Christianity, sharing your belief, right? Well, yes. Unfortunately, Scott, uh, I turned my heart from God for many years. Right. And uh, it was about 19 years ago now that God in his grace and mercy brought me back to my knees, for which I am eternally grateful. And, uh, and delight in sharing the good news that no matter who you are or what you've done, there's forgiveness, there's peace, there's joy, there's hope, and there is the promise of eternal life in a world that's not broken like ours. Mm. So uh, what a wonderful uh, good news, which is what gospel means, (laughs) that is, for all. I couldn't agree more. Stepping down as the head coach of the University of Oklahoma, was that a real hard decision with you as far as identity goes? Not really, only because I had been a head coach for 33 years wow. and loved it, and uh, but my body was breaking down, and that's why we had, and you're aware of this, we had a couple of bad years. I had never had a bad year in coaching and had a couple of bad years, four years from retirement, and after two of those, I determined that, that uh, I was going to retire in a couple of years, and I was going to retire with the program being strong and we probably had our best recruiting class ever mm-hmm. and left coach Cody with uh, Kendrick Maple wound up being a national champion, Cody Brewer, national champion, Jared Patterson, Nick Lester, all Americans and, and a bundle of other guys. But, but those challenging years, they took a toll. That's when I went from a brunette to a platinum blonde, <laughs> very platinum. <laughs> and, uh, and so my body, and then, God had brought me back to faith. And to be honest with you, I didn't do a a great job of incorporating that well. One, I think I spent a little too much time in spiritual things because, you know, we're to work and our jobs is unto the Lord. I was kind of a little double-minded man and didn't understand uh, how to uh, incorporate that as I I should have. It's interesting because I do to help teach two leadership academies for our national association every year. And we uh, help train young coaches because they're adding so many programs. We need coaches. So high school coaches and other people that are very 
talented in our sport, and if you have a passion for it, we need college coaches. So call up Mike Moyer, and uh, uh, I'm forgetting where I I was going with that, but the bottom line is uh, I, I had those struggles, and it was just time for me. I think it's a young man's sport. Uh, between my physical problems, and that impacts your passion. And then my faith uh, uh, renewal, I think that impacted my passion, giving me a new direction. So it was it was time for me to go. People ask me all the time, do you miss the sport? If I wasn't so engaged, I still do, as you know, the television commentary. I'm You're trying not. to fill your big shoes <laughs> in the uh, commentating world. I, I'm engaged with the National Coaches Association. I mentor a lot of young coaches. And uh, and I did, before COVID, do a Bible study with our team. Okay. And uh, so I'm still very engaged in the sport. Otherwise, I think I'd miss it horribly. Well, of course, there's such a, a big part of your life, but now you're choosing to fill those voids uh, that that perhaps your departure from Oklahoma has provided the voids. Well, guess what? You're filling it with some... Uh, uh, great works. So as a matter of fact, I want to I want to comment about um, uh, Michael Fessler's book, Faith and Wrestling: How the Role of Wrestling Mirrors the Christian Life, uh, uh-huh. in, in which he has highlighted in uh, one of the chapters highlighted your life, wrestling and coaching career, and your, your Christian faith. That was a very uh, poignant part of your life and your career back in 2014 when you did that, and the change in you. Uh, was gradual in some cases, but in other cases, these were giant and very public steps. Uh, I, for one, am very happy for you and your family because out of it, I think, uh, your departure from Oklahoma and endorsing this book and being examined as as you were, I think out of all of that, we got a much better person. Um, don't don't ever think I'm judging you at all. I'm, I'm complimenting you because I think you've grown so much uh, as an individual, as a leader, as a father, as a husband, I think you are one of those people in my life I admire the most for ta- being that brave to take those big steps, and I love you for that. Uh, th- thank you for those kind words. You know, success lends itself to pride. I think I was a very prideful person to begin with, and then with increasing success became more so. And, you know, it was kind of interesting. I-, I had a lot of dichotomies because on the one hand, you know, I was very stringent. I, I didn't believe in cheating, you know, and, and uh, I, I, I think that's not really winning. And yet in my own personal life, as I share in the book, and it's very painful to share, uh, I became a cheater, you know, in terms of uh, marital right. relationship. And it's just an ugly chapter. And some people wonder why I share it. Uh, in book form with the, the great Michael Fessler, what a writer he is, but also, you know, at these seminars, and I do it for the people that are listening, mm-hmm. you know, predominantly young men who may be flirting with going in that direction, maybe have gone there or, or just praying, you know, to heaven that they would never go there to understand that this is not where life is found. Mm-hmm. I used to think that God didn't want us to sin because he didn't want us screwing around and having fun. And now I realize, no, God doesn't want us to sin because we can't image him as the good and gracious and loving and wise God that he is. And also, it always brings ruin, brokenness, and bondage into his good world and to the lives of the people that he loves. 
Hmm. So that's that's why I share it. Jack, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and the time goes by so quickly. Uh, the first two segments on this show have been dedicated to the Spates family, and uh, rightfully so. Uh, we need to do it more often. I love you, brother, and appreciate your uh, good work. I love you, too, Scott. And thank you so much for your friendship and all you do on behalf of our great sport. It's a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for your leadership. We'll talk to you soon. See you then, okay? Take care. There we go. It's one of the very good men in my life. He's an outstanding individual and uh, turns out to be a great father, great husband, great leader. And uh, we need more like Jack Spates. All right. Stay tuned. There's more on the other side of the break. We're going to talk with Joe Stacy. Switch it up a little bit on this sports station. We're going to talk Iowa Barnstormer football. Stay tuned. This is USA Takedown on ESPN. <laughs> Guests on USA Takedown appear on the Defense Soap Newsmaker Hotline. Two-time world champion Terry Brand said, we use it in our showers and in our room. Defense Soap, it's what the pros use. And we were there just last week for the big fights at Wild Rose Casino in Jefferson. And what a time we had and what a time was had by all. Hanging out with Johnny Case, Travis Dvorak, Monty Cox, etc., etc., reigniting our friendship with Joe Brammer. He'll be on the program next week, as a matter of fact, talking about a big event he's got coming up in his business. Uh, we'll look forward to that conversation. Joining us next, uh, and for those of you that know me uh, as one of the uh, voices of the Iowa Barnstormers, uh, I enjoy having the conversation about the team, the events, the ups and downs, and hopefully tomorrow night will be an up. He joins us now, does the broadcast voice of the Iowa Barnstormers, the famed team, Joe Stacy. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Oh, I'm doing terrific, Scott. I, I, I never thought you'd ask. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good-natured ribbing. No, you know what? Thanks for having me on, Scott. I, oh, yeah. Uh, there's not uh, a better PA talent in the uh, United States of America, and in particular in the IFL. I've been all over this country with the Iowa Barnstormers. Nobody holds a candle to you. And, wow. And uh, not only with that, but with uh, uh, your passion for the Iowa Barnstormers and how you contribute to uh, not only behind the mic, but uh, uh, with uh, sponsors, and um, a, including a Wild Rose Casino and Resort in Jefferson uh, uh, this weekend. Uh, uh, the events and promotions, in-game promotions are back, and uh, Wild Rose, of course, in charge of uh, the Simba Cam, the Baywatch Run Contest, and uh, the Carlton Dance this Saturday night versus Green Bay. It's going to be a lot of fun. Barnstormers will be facing Green Bay in the mighty blizzard. Now that you know, we hate the Green Bay blizzard. We really, truly do. We don't have a good relationship with the city, the community, or anybody there, especially the Green Bay blizzard. That's my take on the deal. Barnstormers four and four, and the blizzard of four and five. How is that possible? Well, the the Green Bay Blizzard uh, were able to start their season a, a little bit earlier than the Iowa Barnstormers, and uh, you know, COVID uh, is 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 a uh, a reason why there's some disparity in the number of games that all of the teams have played. Of course, you well know um, the uh, uh, league this year started with 12 teams. Next year, it's going to expand to 18 teams. And wow. uh, just at the you know the, the season got pushed back to, to May rather than starting in February. And uh, we're just able to survive as far as a, a, a team and a league in 2021. Don't get me wrong, we we still want to advance to the playoffs and right. and uh, you know make a run at a United Bowl. But uh, uh, this is kind of a survival year for the IFL. And next year uh, with the expansion, uh, Las Vegas, uh, you'll have. San Diego back in the mix, 
Oakland, California back in the mix, uh, Quad City Steamwheelers back in the mix, and it really is a, a the, the indoor football league. It's the top level of indoor football, and uh, it goes from uh, North Dakota to Texas to, to California to Maine, so we're excited about uh, where the indoor football league is going. Where the Barnstormers were one of the uh, premier teams of the original Arena Football League, um, how is it different league to league, IFL versus the AFL? Well, the AFL, Scott, is no longer in existence. Right. Um, they folded up shop. Uh, the, the AFL um, was the top level of the uh, indoor or arena game. Right. And, uh, you know, they, they folded up a shop. There's a couple of other leagues out there, the NAL, National Arena League, and the CIFL, Champions Indoor Football League. And, and uh, you know, the, those guys have the same, those players have the same thing in mind, and that, that's to get film and, sure. and try and get some looks and make it to the next level. But uh, uh, right now, um, the Indoor Football League has the top talent. Uh, there's a lot of uh, parity throughout the league with Arizona, uh, Frisco Fighters, Spokane Shock, Massachusetts Pirates, Bismarck Bucks, Green Bay, Iowa Barnstormers, Sioux Falls Storm, Duke City Gladiators out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, Tucson Sugar Skulls, and Northern Arizona Wranglers. So uh, next year that uh, list is going to uh, expand to Las Vegas. Uh, I can't wait to go out there and call a football right. game and then, again, get back out to California and call a game. So why do you think the IFL has been so successful, even in a downturn with COVID, a year that never was really I don't think you'll see it in history books, that's for sure. Revisionist history <laughs> at its <laughs> finest. But why do you think the IFL has survived as so many other wannabe uh, arena games, uh, arena teams, arena conferences uh, have folded? Well, I tell you what, you know, I mean, there's a lot of communities that uh, just don't get out and support it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's during spring and summer and, and some people don't embrace it. Uh, that, that's the only way I can answer that question. And, and it's, it's, it's a question I've never had to answer. So I, I hope that's good enough, but, I think it um, is. you know, people, people around the, the Des Moines area and, and all the, the, the teams that I just mentioned, Spokane, uh, Arizona and Phoenix, uh, the Frisco fighters in Dallas, Texas, those are all bigger communities. Uh, and then you have communities like Des Moines, which is a smaller market. Um, those are typically the, the uh, teams that uh, have time have a tough time getting people in the stands and uh, getting sponsorships, but uh, the Iowa Barnstormer uh, community has embraced the Barnstormers in the past and continue to do so. And uh, you know, fans continue to show up for the games. We, we we'd always like to have more people, and that's why uh, you know people like you uh, help the cause out and get the word out that. Hey, you know what? Tomorrow night, if you don't have plans, you can uh, get the guys, get the gals, get the family uh, together. And uh, uh, tickets are as low as fourteen dollars. It's up close and and personal. There's not a bad seat in the house. That's and, right. Uh, it's just it, it's a lot of fun. It's rowdy, ruckus, and uh, uh, a lot of talent on that team. And uh, who knows? The next time you see him, you could be seeing him in an NFL jersey. And by the way, we do have championships in our history. Uh, and uh, we had a lot of fun that season. Each season we get to do the games is a real blessing. Uh, coming off a nail-biting loss to Frisco, and it was a nail-biter, the Barnstormers looking to get back in the win column. How do they get it done? Well, they get it done by controlling the football and not making mistakes. Uh, you know, the, we, we, the last time we played Green Bay, our uh, uh, MVP quarterback, Daquan Neal, is the reigning MVP of 2019. Of course, 2020, uh, there was not a, a, a season, but we went up to Green Bay and uh, 
he had thrown one interception uh, all season long before that game and, and tossed three that particular ball game. Wow. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 it sounds like coaches speak, but take care of the football, uh, make stops on, on, on the defensive side. In the arena game, at the 50-yard war to, to score, you come up with four to five stops and uh, you score on you know 80% of your possessions, it's usually going to go in your favor. Mm. And the Barnstormers come into the game with a 2-1 record at Wells Fargo Arena. It's important to note that the Barnstormers were on the road earlier this season against the Blizzard in Green Bay and uh, and came up short 48-44 in that one. So how much, uh, when, when as, a, as an athlete, and you've been there yourself as a competitive athlete, um, you know, that that has to be in your record banks, in your mind, that last time they nipped you by four. Yeah, and again, when we when we played Green Bay, we had that game. Our offense was clicking. Our defense was playing. Our defense played well enough to win the game. Um, but again, those three interceptions really, really hurt us. Uh, uh, all three of the interceptions that, that Daquan Neal threw that particular day, uh, Green Bay turned them into scores eventually. So uh, the, the Iowa Barnstormers continued to fight back and didn't give up and, and uh, had a chance to win it uh, late in the ball game, just like they did in Frisco and, and just came up short. And some people are, are decrying the loss in Frisco, and, and everybody's an armchair quarterback, everybody's an armchair coach. But I, I got to ask you about an onside kick, onside kick, and we had the lead, right? And then we tend to do an onside kick. We don't recover. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know what? Again, I'm not a coach. I, I, I don't ever criticize a coach for, for what not decisions they make. And, not, it's an and, observation. Uh, you, you know, it, it, and, and I know you don't either. And, and, right. and it, didn't work, it didn't work out for us. Uh, again, we had a chance to win that football game uh, at, at the last second. They, they scored a touchdown with three seconds left to go uh, and went for the two-point conversion. It wasn't good. So they had a one-point lead with three seconds left to go. They kicked the football off to us. And our, uh, you know, great coaching out of Les Moss and Rob Keefe and B.J. Cohn and Jason Simpson, uh, they had the, our return man, which was Alad Cavalli, uh, take it out of the end zone and run up to the five-yard line and just slide down, give himself up with one second left to go. We were down uh, 36-35, and uh, we had a chance to kick You know, a, a very long field goal. It would have been the equivalent of a 58-yard field goal because they would have kicked it from the goal line. Um, you add eight yards for that, and uh, uh, the field goal was blocked, and uh, they fell on it, and that's how the score ended up 42 uh, to 35. So, you know, you know, in my head, uh, we, we got beat 36, 35. And, uh, right. you know, again, and we, we had a crucial fumble in that football game that, uh, uh we were driving with a, a one score lead midway through the fourth quarter and we coughed up the football. They fell on it and uh, turned it into a score. So protecting the football has been, uh, something that, uh, has, has bitten us. Uh, we're, we're, we're two possessions away and, uh, two plays away from being six and two rather than four and four. Mm. We're talking with, uh, the broadcast voice of the Iowa Barnstormers, the legendary team, that legendary logo that's seen around the world, and people recognize it as as it is one of the great uh, uh, success stories in the world of professional football. And uh, Joe Stacy is our guest. I got to actually continue the introduction. <laughs> He's the broadcast voice of the Iowa Barnstormers. Got that? All right. Everybody knows that offense puts numbers up on the board, but you can't have a good an effective offense if you don't have a great defense. How important uh, are guys like Tony Jones and Christopher Biggers and and uh, guys like that that are playing on that line on the defensive side of the ball? 
Yeah, you got you know our big offensive line goes Denzel Chukwakalu, six four two ninety out of UTEP. Uh, Christopher Biggers is a kid. He's six one two ninety out of SMU. We also have a kid Kenton Bartlett, six three two seventy out of Portland State. So I mean, just throwing those n- names and sizes uh, and 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 where these 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 players are from, you know, they're mainly from Division One programs. Uh, uh, on, in the indoor game, it's eight on eight, three on three up front. There's no stunting, twisting um, on the defensive line. So you got to go mano a mano, and you just have to be stronger than the person in front of you, and uh, you know, put pressure on, on on the quarterback and try and stop the run with your linebackers. Like as you mentioned, uh, Tony Jones, Gabriel McCoy, um, uh, Jalen Moore is going to get a shot this week. Uh, uh, these guys are all very important out of Grand Valley State. Uh, uh, Tony Jones is out of Texas Tech University. And, and then, of course, uh, there, there is a lot of throwing in the indoor football game, and you rely on, on your defensive backs to, to just you have to be great cover backs. You have to be able to break on the football. You have to have some pass breakups and, and uh, keep the ball in front of you. But, uh, yeah, defense is very important. Again, you come up with four or five defensive stops in an indoor football league game, and you're typically going to come out on top as long as you don't turn the football over and convert on 80% of your offensive possessions. Daquan Neal is perhaps one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league, and I believe that to be true. Um, he's got to Take the snap, call the call the ball, but take the snap, right? And yep. then step back one, two, and if he's got time, maybe three. He's got to have an incredible ability to deliver the ball quickly to his intended receiver uh, or to continue to make that play if it's a run play. What are your thoughts on Daquan Neal? Well, Daquan Neal is just a terrific athlete. He's out of Elizabeth City State University. It's in North Carolina. It's a uh, Division II school. And uh, he 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 was a little bit undersized at six two, uh, two hundred and ten pounds. But uh, he runs a four three forty. He can leap out the gym. Um, he's got great arm strength. He he can he's elusive. Uh, he's got great vision. Um, he, he can make people miss after he's been hit. Uh, he he is one of the best. That's why he's the reigning MVP. And That's right. and. Uh, you know the the ability to drop back and 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 again it's three on three up front. You have to have your offensive line keep you clean. You have to have a good running back who knows how to block as well. But uh, he's he's very creative back there. He's like an artist and uh, the ability to throw that football quick and have a quick read is is one of the reasons why Kurt Warner made it to the next level. Um, and 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 he'll he readily admit, admits that and and talks about that in various personal uh, appearances that he does uh, just he had that quick release where he could get rid of it and he learned that uh, playing football in the uh, arena football league with the Iowa Barnstormers back in the 90s and boy I can't wait for his movie to come out uh, underdog story the Kurt underdog the Kurt Warner story which comes out December 10th and which features uh, a lot of Iowa Barnstormer uh, footage I love that and and Kurt is a, a wonderful individual giving back as uh his faith, um, you know, his, is showing. Yeah. <laughs> he wears it right on his sleeve, doesn't he? Yes, um, he does. He's he's as advertised. You bet. <laughs> his whole family's that way. I remember I was in a car with Zobel out in uh, Scottsdale, and uh, we were in, in I, yeah, it was Jim's car, and um, I was sitting in the back seat. Jim was sitting in the front seat. Jill was driving, and uh, that's Jim's wife. And we come up to the intersection, and I see this guy, big guy, and a bunch of little kids walking to the corner. And Z rolls down his window. Zabo rolls down his window and says, Hey, Warner. And <laughs> I didn't expect this. See, 
Kurt Warner there, let alone have a conversation with him. Uh, and he uh, says, oh, hey, Z. And he uh, continues walking. <laughs> like, like, you know, it's just something that you know doesn't happen to everybody, but that's a fond memory of Jim Zobel and Kurt Warner and what a relationship they had. And final, I want you to talk a little bit about wide receivers. They're so very important in this game. Carrington Thompson is doing an outstanding job. Yeah, Carrington Thompson's our lead receiver this year. Six three hundred eighty five pounder out of Western Michigan. Um, you know, slow start for our wide receivers. Uh, we had a couple go down. Andrew Mahoney mm-hmm. uh, out of Bentley. He was a five eleven, two hundred pound. I mean, he ran a four three. Uh, just a, a, a solid, muscular, uh, fast, durable athlete. But uh, and when I as soon as I say durable. Um, I, I kind of throw that out the window because the the, uh, the the poor young man uh, suffered a season-ending injury earlier on in the season. But uh, Carrington Thompson's a terrific athlete. Uh, Connor Hollenbeck, another big kid for us out of Edinburgh University. Right. Uh, he goes six six, two hundred twenty-five pounds, yeah. and and Dalen Pearson, a five eleven, hundred eighty pounder. You know what? The, our our wide receivers again a slow start. Um, we, 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 until last week, uh, I, I don't believe we had a wide receiver in the top 25 in receptions and catches. So, you know, that is an area, you know, if you have a, a team, you're always going to have your team strengths and you're going to have your need for improvement. improvement right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an area where, um, the Iowa barnstormers, uh, need a little bit of, uh, improvement. And, uh, I, I'm very confident that, uh, you know, after four and four, we're this way. We're this far in the season. We have uh, three home games left uh, tomorrow night against Green Bay, August seventh and August fourteenth against Bismarck and Sioux Falls before we end our season August twenty first at Massachusetts. So we hope the Iowa Barstow wide receivers come ready to play tomorrow night and uh, entertain the fans. It's going to be a lot of fun. Nineties night, Corgi Chase going on to benefit the Animal Rescue League. Joe, it's always good to talk to you. By the way, tickets available five one five. 633-2255 or theiowabarnstormers.com. Joe Stacy has been our guest. Joe, I'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Yeah, and I look forward to hearing your work. You're the best in the business. <laughs> and thanks for filling in for me with the Barnstormers Weekly Radio Show as well this year. It's been a pleasure. Pre- pleasure helping out, being a part of the team. All right, Joe Stacy, you're heading to the showers. I'm Scott Casper for, for Kira Jones. Do me a favor, stick around. Hour number two is coming up next. John Azevedo, Chris Chianuma. And Jack Roller, yeah, we're rolling out some of the big names. Where the legends live, this is USA Takedown on ESPN. Think you heard everything? Stick around. You ain't heard nothing yet. More USA Takedown after this. Oh, the first hour of the big program as we come to you from Des Moines, Iowa, coast to coast, border to border, and all those ships at sea. First hour, well-populated, great stars great legends of our sport jack spates among them and uh, we just had a great hour i think now hour number two is only going to get better how's that possible <laughs> i don't even know but uh, great guess that's for sure um the state of california we've been showing uh, a little love to the state of california and deservedly so the names of uh, olympic team members and world team members from the great state of california the sunshine state uh, marcy van dusen Patricia Miranda, Heath Sims, Dan Henderson, Tim Vanny, okay, and Eric Guerrero, Adam Wheeler, Jamil Kelly, Stephen Abbas, Greg Gibson, Mark Schultz, yeah, that Mark Schultz, Dave Schultz, uh huh, Jake Varner, 
and it, it wouldn't be possible to continue the conversation about California wrestling with uh, if, if you miss one name, one name in particular, and he's our first guest. He is a former member, well, always a guest, uh, a member of the 1980 Olympic team. He is uh, our friend, one of the best wrestlers the U.S. has ever produced, John Azevedo. John, John, good morning. How are you, Coach? Good. Doing good, Scott. Describe Just having some coffee watching the Olympics. <laughs> it started, hasn't it? <laughs> it did, yes. You know, in, a, in a, a, another show earlier this morning we did, we talked about uh, elite-level athletes making a transition from years and years of competition training and being uh, monitored uh, by coaches, trainers, dietitians, uh, strategists, etc., but making that transition into a uh, somewhat, some would say, a normal life because being a high-level athlete is anything but being normal. Uh, I mean, you're keyed up all the time. Uh, but you grew up in, in Modesto, California, two-time high school state champ at 106 and 115, uh, all the way to becoming a member of the 1980 Olympic team. How was that for you, making that transition from high school to college? Number one, you had a stint, I think, at Oklahoma State, transferring to Cal State Bakersfield, which apparently was a good move for you. Yeah, I mean, it it didn't hurt coming back home, you know, being around family and everything so i i loved my year at oklahoma state too it, it was very enlightening and uh so but coming back was a good thing you know i think it was um i think it was uh, randy couture said once a cowboy always a cowboy do you believe in that <laughs> <laughs> he could sometimes rock the, he could rock sometimes. the mullet by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think it's one of the only programs in the country where that was a requirement at the time to have a mullet. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Johnny, you made the 1980 Olympic team. Um, this is it's contentious for me, uh, controversial even then, uh, perhaps even more so now, but the U.S. Olympic team did not participate in the Moscow Games because of the boycott that was handed down by then-President Jimmy Carter um, that had to have been bitter and a bitter, uh, bitter pill to swallow for the team and the coaches. What are your memories of that? Uh, yeah, just being very disappointed, obviously, when we heard we were in training camp. We, we had heard rumblings of it, but, you know, I, I didn't think it would happen. And so when you hear it's like, whoa, this is really happening. I, I can't believe this is happening. And I mean, at the time, I I was pretty young. I was 23, so I was trying to stay positive. <laughs> well, I'll make the next one, you know, type sure. thing. But that's not easy to do, and I didn't do it. And, you know, the years go by, and, you, man, I miss my shot. You yeah. almost become more disappointed over the years. At Cal State Bakersfield, you won your championship at 126. What would have been your weight for the 80 Olympic Games? It was 57 kilograms, you know, 125 and a half. 25 that was perfect and a half. for me, yeah. I was going to say that would be perfect. You, in turn, have taken that love for the sport, and it's obvious you have a love for the sport. Uh, and some people would say it doesn't define you, but I think it does define us. The sport defines us, the 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 desire to be included in this family is very strong for most 
And for you, I think it's even stronger. You've been able to dedicate your life to the betterment of those junior athletes that are coming up, uh, specifically uh, in freestyle. Can you talk to us about freestyle and folk style, your life in both? Because I think you've had the ability to transition between the two rather seamlessly. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I just love the sport. Uh, I have a passion for it. I study it. You know, since I've been in coaching, I I study the sport. I love it. What's that? I say I love that. Yeah. I'm a better wrestler now than I was then. My knowledge, uh, you know, I'm a better coach, obviously, after sure. almost 40 years of studying the sport and just working with kids. I work with all ages. I, you know, I've worked with little kids all the way up to the Olympians. So, I mean, I, I really understand, the, you know, the differences in the ages and it's just something, uh, you know, I love to do and have passion for. In your backyard is something called Titan Mercury Wrestling Club, which is indeed, I believe now, the premier wrestling club in the country. It's well-funded by a very generous benefactor. Uh, but he also recognizes the need to have great coaches around. How involved are you in Titan Mercury Wrestling Club and with their athletes? Yeah, you know, I when I left Cal Poly, I started working for Andy Bars and Titan Mercury when they were just getting started, and that's that's when I coached at San Marino High School. That's where Andy lives, um, and you know, I coached the Wicks there at San Marino High School, and I coached the Titan Mercury Wrestling Club for like five years. I was there with Andy, and I worked with the the uh, open guys, too, with Titan Mercury. And so then I, I went to Paso Robles for a few years, and I wasn't working with Andy, and now I'm back working with him again in SoCal, trying to help out SoCal Wrestling, building up to the Olympics. So right. I'm, I'm back involved with Andy and Titan Mercury. and uh, Johnny Ruggiano. A, <laughs> John, yeah, yeah, Johnny, yeah. Love that guy. I mean, that's, Working with Johnny and just, trip. Uh, just trying to help wrestlers. <laughs> You've never been afraid to investigate the possible. And by that, I think that's probably evidenced best by your tenure uh, and your locations, Arizona State as a coach, Notre Dame coaching, Wisconsin, Bakersfield, uh, Calvary Chapel uh, High School, by the way. That's Calvary Chapel High School. Yes. Very competitive. School, yeah. uh, switched to college to become head coach at Cal Poly. You switched back to college. Cal Poly. Why Cal Poly? Uh, you know, a beautiful location in California. Amen. If you're a surfer, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a surfer, but I love the ocean. I'm a sinker. Uh, you know, I, what's that? I'm a sinker. <laughs> a sinker. All right. It's, yeah. you know, I just thought the potential was there to be a great California wrestling school. You know, it's, why wouldn't you want to go there? And, right. You know, you have a great environment there. Yeah. Not easy to get into that school, um, academically speaking. And then to stay there, perhaps, is even tougher. But Cal Poly is enjoying a resurgence. Uh, you know, great head coach, uh, new associate head coach, and Chris Chianuma. 
Uh, right. Another former Oklahoma State guys. What is it with you and Guerrero and Chianuma and you know, <laughs> so many good guys uh, leave California go to Oklahoma State? I don't get it. But anyway, um, you know, Cal Poly has got some real positives in that it's an attractant now to athletes like the Wicks. Uh, you know, coming back to California to wrestle at Cal Poly, I think this is huge. I think so too. Yeah, I think John's done a great job of building a, John you know, a base of right. John, so, you're talking about John Cerritos. You're talking about John Cerritos. Yes, the right. head coach there now. John's been there, I think, four years, and he's he's done a great job of bringing back alumni, building alumni base, and uh, bringing in some great coaches. And, and I think it's, you can see, it's paying off now. People are seeing what's going on and um, are excited about it. You know, and, th- and that's perhaps uh, the best thing that could happen to not just Cal Poly, but California wrestling in general at the collegiate level. You're seeing the Lancers under Zaleski, uh we're seeing Stanford hiring Rob Cole. Whoever saw that yeah. coming? I mean, how are you going to predict that? Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Uh, you know, San Francisco getting a new coach. There's so many different positives going on in the state. And here's the problem I've had with California, where they have great high school wrestling and an incredible state tournament with how many athletes? My goodness sakes, that's a lot of yeah. matches. In one division, it's not like here in Iowa, uh, we have three divisions, right? Or is it four? Three. Uh, I don't particularly follow high school wrestling here. There are others that do, but I focus on collegiate and uh, world and Olympic. Uh, right. But, you know, when you have that uh, an embarrassment of riches uh, at your doorstep for, uh, you know, the, as uh, high school students and high school athletes, and then they have nowhere to go because there are not enough programs, not enough spots in the programs that are there. But do we see there, uh, can we see a light at the end of the tunnel? Will there be more college opportunities in California? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'm i not sure. You know, it's very difficult, as you know, to start new programs. But uh, Cal Baptist, like you said, it's, they've done it. They're going to be D1 here. They have one more year to wait to be officially D1. And with Zaleski there, they're, they're going to do a great job. You know, it's going to be a great place for some California kids to go. Um, and you've got Menlo also. You've right. got some small schools, but hopefully we could get Fresno back. That would be, that's key. I think to get Fresno back would be huge but keeping stanford i was just talking to somebody and that's huge yeah uh that like you said that's a that's a huge light <laughs> well for that them could have been for them to hire uh, uh rob, rob cole, cole yeah that and, shows up a huge commitment and the, the very next day he was on this very program and i said congratulations on being the new highest paid coach in college wrestling history and he said he says that's news to me that's news to me (laughs) (laughs) that's news to me (laughs) but i guess he would know but he's also shy or reticent about talking about his personal finances and i don't know that that's a needed reporting uh at at stanford but um you know some state institutions it's that way but uh i thought it was a uh well-placed remark in his hiring 
And then when he added to that remark by adding uh, Vincenzo Joseph and uh, uh, Dr. Enoch Francois to the mix, and I'm wondering, too, uh, John, if there's not one more footfall, in other words, one more coach that's going to uh, be an attractant. And I think there might be. And the word on the street out there, and I don't want to stir the pot uh, any more than I already am, but yeah, um, let's get you I'm, a ladle. I know. I'm, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't even go down this road. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a ladle. Um, you know, ladles are only good for one thing, and that's soup. Okay. So um, <laughs> we're not making soup here. We're making a full <laughs> stew. <laughs> but Rob Cole's longtime assistant, if you recall, is now the head coach of South Dakota State. And Damian some, Han, yeah. yeah, and and if you recall how good that boy from Jersey was when at the University of Minnesota, uh, he also became an outstanding recruiter. If one thing Rob Cole needs is the uh, a, a strong second in recruiting, especially in recruiting, would you say that's true? And have you heard the same rumblings I'm hearing? No, I, I haven't heard that about Damian. No. It would be interesting. Right. You know, I don't know that Costanza will let him go, the athletic director at, at South Dakota, but if that were to happen, I would say not only is Stanford on track, uh, Jack Spade said, watch him fly, uh, uh, ab- about talking about Cole and Stanford. I truly believe that that program was well coached under Jason Borelli, but this is a, a real step in not only the right direction, but in the right direction toward not just competition, but winning. And that's huge because that's what catches the athletic director's attention, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So in knowing that what you're doing with a tight Mercury, uh, what college, what high school are you attached to these days? You know, I'm uh, going to Cal Poly a couple days a week and I go to Cal Bakersfield a couple days a week. I live about 30 minutes from Cal Poly and it's about an hour and, 35 minutes to Bakersfield. So I kind of split my time going to those programs. And then I work with some youth kids too, but in general, Andy's having me work with the colleges, like at the RTCs, we're calling it like a SoCal RTC and eventually want to work with Cal Baptist. Perhaps one of your greatest uh, supporters, one of your biggest fans uh, is a tremendous photographer. He is the uh, image and the art behind the uh, the hit album by uh, Rage Against the Machine. That's Joey Krebs. Joey uh, Krebs, yep. Joey is a, an amazing fan of the sport and the people in it. He reveres you, Tim Vanny, etc. I'm looking at a picture of both you and Tim together. Um, <laughs> but uh, I want to thank Joey for helping to make this interview possible. Not everybody enjoys... Uh, being interviewed that's why we consider what we do more of a conversation and right. you know we have no points to make other than bringing up for you know for some to pass that's why we attach where the legends live to our slogan uh for the show but john you are absolutely one of the legends of this sport do you feel your place in the sport uh yeah yeah i think so you know i just try to you know, do my best to, to help kids any any age, like I said, and um, I, I feel like I've done a pretty good job with that and feel like I have my place, so I'm content. 
You've had um, some of the um, Eastern Bloc country coaches in California, some for extended periods. And I'm trying to think of, uh, is it Anatoly? Anatoly, yeah. And and uh, is it his cousin Sergei, or his brother? Sergey and Anatoly were out here for okay. a while. That was come it. to my camps, yeah. Yeah, and and we had them on the show, and their ability to communicate, talking about wrestling, was much greater than their uh, ability to pontificate about politics. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah. the outstanding guests, and it's I put them and you in that same league in terms of. Um, the perfection, the search for perfection in the sport, the search and the desire to be better always. And I think that's one of the reasons why you are a truly great coach. What a transition it's been for you and what a great opportunity it was for you to join us on the program in terms of us being able to talk to you. John, we appreciate the time. Thank you for your leadership, not just for California wrestling, but for wrestling in general. You are a true light and a true beacon. Thank you. I appreciate that. Have a good rest of your day, my friend. We'll take a quick time out. You're listening to USA Takedown on ESPN. Stay tuned. USA Takedown is brought to you by Barbarian Apparel and Kaldenberg's PBS Landscaping. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the show. It is USA Takedown. The Olympics have started. Can you feel it? I get a little goosebumps. The hairs stand up on the back of my arms and maybe the top of my arms. I'm not sure. But uh, it's always a very romantic time for the athletes that have literally been training their entire life for the opportunity to wrestle on behalf of the United States. We wish them a safe journey, a problem-free Health-wise, we hope that they don't get bitten by the COVID bug over there as the uh, disease runs rampant through uh, the country of Japan. So our hopes, our dreams are with them and their families, their coaches, etc. We appreciate the effort they've put into this special opportunity. So to USA Olympics, U.S. wrestling, USA wrestling, I should say, men and women, best of luck. Godspeed. All right, we just had a great conversation with uh, California wrestling legend John Azevedo, member of the 1980 Olympic team. And our next guest is the associate head coach named uh, so just not that long ago. Uh, it's Chris Chianuma. Chris, good morning. How are you, coach? Morning, Scott. How are you doing? I'm good, buddy. You're all fired up. Fired up. Fired. Yep. Got to get fired up. What's Absolutely. Uh, what's my favorite coach up in Michigan, youth coach? He always What's and he always he, my God he has the ability to fire those little kids up something fierce I'm glad he takes that show on the road <laughs> yeah but anyway hey first of all congratulations on the uh, uh, elevation to associate head coach you know what that means right what's it mean it means one more step <laughs> yes sir <laughs> and also um, I think there's an important part of your title that every coach needs, and that is a recruiting coordinator. Somebody has their eyes on the prize, able to look at every weight, uh, mm-hmm. not just in terms of who you need today, but who you're going to need in two years, three years, four years, five years down the road, who best fits that, when to start the courting of that athlete and his parents or her parents. I think it's so very important to be well-versed at this. Where and how did you learn how to recruit? I, uh, my, my first recruiting position was over at Army West Point, and that's 
I mean, that's where I learned everything. I, I got a coach alongside Kevin Ward um, and Brian Pearsall, who are both amazing recruiters. Like back to back years that I were there, we had a top 25 recruiting class. And if you look at their uh, history of recruiting classes, they continue to stay in the top 25. Um, Pearsall is associate uh, head coach over at Penn. And uh, obviously Kevin's still there over at Army, but we worked together. We, we uh, like figured out what we needed as a program um, and identified kids that fit our mold mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, kind of identified our mold. Like what, what do we want to recruit? And, um, and kind of started, uh, started just getting on the road, getting into people's houses, making mistakes figuring it out and making it better and and continuing to, to develop our our method and our style of recruiting. I've often said that one of the, uh, the position of head coach or coach at any one of the academies, army West point being one of them uh, is difficult at best because uh, obviously they're there for a purpose. Wrestling is not always the purpose in, in this case, it has to be Army first and foremost at West Point. But um, that, that means your athletes aren't always available for practice, aren't always available for whatever curriculum you're putting forward in terms of competition, uh, practice, or just ministry to the sport, right? So uh, I, I think Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, everybody starts, you know, maybe a step back. Maybe some of the best uh uh, prepared athletes physically and mentally for sure. But uh, would you say that's a true statement? Because I've always believed that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Those, I mean, you're, you're working with the best in the, in the country and uh, you know, not just physically, like physically you have to have some kind of baseline just to get into the Academy. Right. Um, and then like, once you get in, you're being pulled in, in every direction to make you the best version of you, you can be. Um, and then you go and wrestle. <laughs> so, so yes, <laughs> oh, it's just that easy. <laughs> <laughs> it just it's, happens. It's, That's it's, the John Smith way of doing things. Okay. Yeah. It, it, right. Go to class and then come on over and wrestle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're talking about like the kids who, and on most times, like they'll say, yeah, I, I want to do it, but they don't know how much it takes to go and do it. Right. But these kids, their capacity to do stuff and West West Point and all the academies ability to get that much out of a kid is absolutely amazing. I've never seen any, any place do it like that. Yeah. But um, for me as, as a coach, it helps me open my eyes to see how much more an athlete has left. And I can kind of start identifying it by, by looking at a kid in regards to recruiting, by looking at a kid and the way he competes, the way he communicates to his, um, his uh, community, his coaches, his his family, to see if like you know if things do get tough, sure. are they going to be able to dig deep enough to get more out of themselves? So it's I, I learned so much from that aspect of uh, coaching at an academy, and now I'm applying it over here at Cal Poly. And I love that. And by the way, the similarity between Army West Point and Cal Poly, the average GPA going into Cal Poly, guess what? Over. 4.0. I didn't know yep. that's possible. When I was in school, I thought 2.7 was really good. No. Uh, <laughs> you have like two grade point averages. Yeah. It's your 
like the standard one, which goes up to four. And then I think there's like a cumulative one that can go higher. Something I wonder like what that. the highest score was ever posted. I wonder what that is. Can you do a I'd little like research there? Yeah. <laughs> While we're on we're talking with Chris, can you look it up? What is the highest GPA ever reported? Our talk with uh, Chris Chianoma uh, uh, continues. We're talking about recruiting, uh, eyeing a, uh, a potential student athlete that could be a good fit academically and physically. Does he fit the needs of the of the team, the program? Does he fit the weight requirements? These are all things. And stylistically, uh, you've got to look at how he wrestles. What part of the country did he wrestle in first? Does he mm-hmm. fit with the Cal Poly and with the conference? You know, there, there's so many things. Because, for example, if I'm on Long Island at Hofstra and uh, I'm announcing an event, I see more flash falls or quick falls there than anywhere in the country. I don't know if you've experienced that, but um, it's 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 almost like they're in a hurry to get the, the meat over. You know, it's like, oh, that's a pin. He hasn't even whistled yet, coach. <laughs> but anyway, I love that. And by the way, uh, what you bring to the head table, to, you know, the John Cerritos' table, I think is style in and of itself. There's a different flavor you bring in because you've been a head coach doing so uh, for, a two, uh, what was it, a Division two school. And I thought, yeah, that's, we had you on the show when you were there. That was down in, uh, 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 Arkansas. We love that school. We love that program and what it did, uh, upon its, uh, uh, you know, entrance back into the division two. I just think they're so good and they, they've only, uh, an opportunity to get better. I think while you were grad assistant coaching their team finished fourth at the NCAA division two championships. Yeah. See, I know I, I do my homework. (laughs) <laughs> i know man i'm impressed you're, you're spouting off all these facts okay so other than you what other famous wrestler came out of lindenwood university oh there's a ton um you have you have deron win yeah uh, he's fighting in the ufc right now you have tatiana padina who was also in the ufc um uh jake diefenbach oh was wow. a multiple time national champ and then transferred to oklahoma state which might sound familiar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, That's before the transfer portal, baby. You guys were exactly. breaking ground. <laughs> exactly. There's there's a ton. And, Where did you know, Bobby spoke, Lashley go? Bobby Lashley went to Mo Valley. And I believe, did he come over to Lindenwood and coach? I think that's the tie. I think that's what yeah. it is. We had him on the show and talking I, about uh, and I do remember him bringing up Lindenwood, and it must have been in a coaching capacity. That's a big oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's got to be it. He's a big man. I tell you what, he's huge. He's dangerous. I think. Yeah, he's but getting... Lindenwood's got it. It's it's weird. It's like the uh, the Kevin Bacon rule of of wrestling. Like right. there's there's you're a couple ties away from Lindenwood somehow. Well, that's the same thing with Iowa Central, the home of the mighty Triton. Uh, yep. you know, that, that school is, uh, Cain Velasquez, uh, Gil Melendez, uh, mm-hmm. uh, jo- Joey, I'm trying to remember, uh, starts with a C last name. Sorry. Anyway, four or five different UFC champions or, you know, great fighters in their own right, uh, went to, uh, you know, um, Iowa, uh, Iowa central up in, uh, Fort Dodge, Iowa. Anyway, we're talking with Chris Chianoma. Chris, important thing to note is that 
this season that we're coming out of was affected by, uh, you know, this COVID thing that we're all having to deal with. But I'm wondering if that is putting more fire under the coaches, under the athletes. They've been waiting to compete, wanting to compete, getting after that and exercising that which they already know and looking to get better even then. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This So this past year, things are different, right? Um, you have the, the Ivy Leagues that didn't compete, and um, some people decided to opt out of the season. But at the same time, like there's a ton of hungry athletes who are willing to uh, get past the hurdles and go out and compete, and we had an amazing uh, season to be able to watch. So then we, we move into this season um, with everyone coming back out of the woodworks and we're going to have as full of a season as we, we can during these times. And sure. I, you have a ton of people taking those, their, their extra year, their COVID year. So we're about to have, you know, what could be the toughest NCAA tournament ever. It's going to be a brawl. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, I'm excited. I think anyone would be excited for a year like this where right. you have, um, I mean, you would, you'd have to think that right? it's going to be the most All-Americans a national champs to return um, in each weight class, something ridiculous, but um, it, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. The, the competition, the depth of the competition is going to be there. So everyone's going to have to uh, train harder, train smarter um, and train better. I think yeah. if, if for, for a coach's game plan moving into the season, if you overtrain and go into a competition that deep, it's going to be the worst thing for your athletes. So coaches are going to have to get more strategic about the way they're training, like which competitions they're going to go to. And, right. um, you know, it's, it's going to be so interesting. This isn't a normal year. I wonder if there's some tournaments like the Midlands and other tournaments that uh, we've grown to love and expect. Um, some, t- some say even take for granted. I wonder how many of them won't return. You know, this has been a financially difficult time for those promoters. Uh, but um, yeah. hopefully, you know, because of Northwestern and all the support there, uh, I'm hoping that the Midlands does return and other tournaments. I hope we don't lose too many because that's that's where the medal is tested really is. Our guest, Chris Chianoma. You remember Chris as a wrestler for uh, Oklahoma State as well uh, as his, uh, his time uh at Blue Springs High and, of course, uh, Lindenwood University, where he became a three-time NAIA All-American. By the way, NAIA is one of my favorite uh, uh, levels of wrestling, and I'll tell you why. Because their rules, uh, while similar to NCAA, I think are much more relaxed, and it gives a, a bigger and better opportunity for all athletes to compete, and I love that. So hats off to the NAIA based out of Kansas City. Um, our guest is talking about uh, Cal Poly in general. I want to focus in on the news that came out not that long ago that the Wick boys are coming back to Cali. They're keeping them in town. What? <laughs> <laughs> they love coming home anyway. I, I, you know, you're spending all that money traveling back and forth. So why don't you just right? stay home? You know what? You wa- the- they want to finish it in front of family and friends. They want to finish it where they can get the most bang for the buck. And I do believe this is a great move for them, but specifically for California. Because the news in the past has always been Eric Guerrero's heading to Oklahoma State. Uh, You know, uh, John Azevedo's leaving to go to Oklahoma State or whatever. 
uh, insert mm-hmm. names here. But since the rise of the so-called SoCal uh, Wrestling Club, the uh, Titan Mercury Wrestling Club in San Marino, uh, which, believe me, I believe to be one of the level best wrestling clubs in the world, it, it certainly oh, yeah. has the financial consideration from Andy Barth, but it also has great coaches like Azevedo and others that are helping to make these athletes realize their their hopes, their dreams of Olympic greatness and world championships. Um, would you say all of that is true, or, or am I putting too much paint on it? No, no, absolutely true. The The support system that we have here in California and the, the, the love from the fans, um, it's unbelievable. I, I haven't seen – I mean, California is a huge state, and then you have um, Andy Barth who's backing it, and you have a ton of names who have done uh, so well at the NCAAs and the world level who are kind of making their way back to California. Right. Um, so it's it's a really hot time to, to be an RTC in California or RTC athlete in California. There's so much support, and, and there's a huge need. There's a huge That's want right. for us to be very successful. Um, and you have a couple people pioneering their way to make sure it does happen. Central Coast Wrestling club here in San Luis Obispo is is well on their way we're, we're I mean I'm sure you already know you do your research um we're working on our standalone RTC facility I'm excited um, about hopefully that to be to be ready at the end of fall yep and um you know that's going to be one of the assets that that we can use as our as a recruiting tool and as a development tool to bring in some athletes to, to train with our guys under that RTC Gee, uh, I, wonder, I wonder who might, what what elite-level athletes transferring to California might be a part of that future plan. Hmm. <laughs> I am so scratching my head right now because it hurts. Uh, Chris Chianuma, our guest, uh, folks know him as Chewy. It's, uh, what was that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have the best producer in the world. That is awesome. <laughs> Do it one more time for us. Oh, did you lose it? Okay, yeah. that's okay. That's okay. That was worth. That was worthy of a drop. That was outstanding. That's awesome. Uh, I don't ever know what she's going to do, but man, she listens. She listens. She's not just putting in her time. She's producing the dang show. That uh, is awesome. But Chris, you're right. There's a lot of good things happening. Most recently, Stanford hired Rob Cole. That is a football fall nobody saw coming at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Rob does things uh, very quietly and very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's probably the strongest move uh, uh, that that Stanford could have made. But, Chris, uh, I think Cal Poly's made an outstanding move in securing, uh, you know, your, you as not just a coach but an associate head coach. Ma- naming you the recruiting coordinator is also a strong move. Uh, I think you're one of the rising stars in coaching in our sport, and I appreciate you so very much. I've always been a fan. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate the good words. Folks, you can find out more about Poly Wrestling, and I'm talking about gopoly.com. If you need me to spell it out, it's G-O-Poly. Gopoly.com. That's one L. <laughs> we're, we're on a budget. It's gopoly.com. Chris Chinoma has been our guest. Chris, you have a great rest of your day. Best to Johnny and everybody else, okay? Scott, thank you so much for having me. Seems like they're all going back to Cali. Cali.
Not a bad place to be. It's not a bad place to be. Chris making it look good. Thanks, bud. We'll talk to you soon. All right, do me a favor, everybody. Stay tuned. There's more from the Wild Rose Casino Studios. You're listening to USA Takedown with Casper and Jones. What? Yeah, Casper and Jones. We could be a uh, outlaw gang or something like that. Wild West. Uh, on Iowa Sports Leader, this is 1350 ESPN. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Casper will be right back with more USA Takedown. Dedicated to the promotion of America's youth and the great sport of wrestling. Those are the watchwords, the slogan, if you will, of World of Wrestling by the Roller family. Joining us now, the preeminent one, the the, the man who really put his heart on his sleeve and said, this is what we're doing, why we're doing it, and we're going to do it with style and class. He's my old friend Jack Roller, Roller's World of Wrestling. Good morning, Jack. How are you? Just fantastic. Thanks for having me on. That's always good to talk to you, Jack. It seems like old friends never lose touch. They just don't talk as much. <laughs> That's true. We had Jack Spates on earlier, and Jeremy Spates, too, for that matter. Um, really? Yeah. I, I haven't talked to them in quite a while. Well, they're doing well. You have been credited with being the feeder to many of America's, if not all, America's top wrestling programs because of your events. The events that you've had include the Reno Worlds, uh, the famed kickoff classic, the Tulsa Nationals, uh, to to name a few. You and I first got uh, acquainted, and I want to say it was in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Was it the American Center or the... I'm trying to remember that building we were in next to a casino. Do you remember that? That's America something, America Center, I think, or something like that. All right. Is that event still going on? No, it is not. We uh, did that, I think, two years. I thought so. Council Bluff and yeah. uh, great community. We just, uh, we always like to try to get as many numbers as we can so the kids are guaranteed good competition, you know, and our numbers wasn't quite what we expected there, you know, with Iowa being such a great wrestling state and right. being able to draw from all over the country, pretty centrally located, but really a great bunch of people to work with there. People say that Jack Roller must be a gambler because of the uh, Reno event. And I said, yeah, he is, only because he puts on wrestling events. <laughs> the main reason, but... Uh, <laughs> There's the gamble right there. That was funny. There was a casino right there about where we stayed, too, in Council Bluff. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, I I think I remember leaving an extension cord or something there. Maybe it was a charging cable or something, but uh, <laughs> it was a particular cable for my... A broadcast box and and i said i'll just pick one up at radio shack and i got that one guess what it wasn't shielded like the cable i had accidentally left behind so oh, it was always gee, a i hadn't heard about that i don't remember you telling me that oh i probably didn't but i just i don't know how i just remembered that <laughs> <That's> funny <laughs> anyway jack rollers i guess you recently have um uh changed leadership there but kept it in the family talk to us about when this happened and uh, and and how it happened because I think first of all I had predicted it. Uh, I, I predicted that you would would make this change. Was this always the plan to turn the company over to Shane? No, that's not something I think you ought to try to shove down the kid's throat. You know that they carry on the legacy or anything like that. It's just something that seemed like a natural progression. I mean, uh, Shane really knew the sport great and. Right. Uh, 
had been involved in it since a baby, and actually when he's in diapers crying to wrestle and us saying, well, get out of diapers and we'll let you wrestle. Uh, it That's body uh, training at its finest right there. <laughs> yeah, he cried. He said, my brothers get to do it. Why can't I do it? <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, it just seemed like a natural thing with Shane because, um, you know, going from three-time All-American, you know, up to or down to whatever you want to call it, down to UFC fighting and uh, really had a good career in that. And I think after the third kid, he decided to, you know, get out of that. And so... You know, it just seemed like a natural thing. He helped us even through all those other times, and then when he kind of retired from the UFC, he started being active here all the time and going to every event. So it was a natural progression. There has been so many people attached, and you've progressed. You've made changes, some of them more difficult than others, uh, whether it's a Matt sponsor, you know, uh, being a partner in that regard, having Defense Soap on board as we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, these are important relationships that should last a lifetime, but things change. Companies change. Uh, you know, you've got Adam, the take the wrestling takedown machine invented once by Carl Adams, uh, the team, uh, the camp team, uh, sports insurance specialists. Uh, you've got uh, the broadcast partner in flow, uh, the Tulsa sports commission. I mean, you really are out there having the conversation about our sport selling our sport to a wider community than just intensive wrestling businesses, correct? Yeah, we make that effort to do that. And some of those people you mentioned are just lifetime friends. I right. mean, you know, that's a wonderful thing about it. Like you and I have talked to each other now for 20 years probably or more, you know, and uh, some of those people uh, that we've lost like Jim Keen and, and Dan Hodge and, some of these people are just not just business associates. They were just really good friends. Right. And and it doesn't hurt that Jim was uh, and his family originally were from down and around Oklahoma. So his, <laughs> his ability to reach back to his roots, you know, that's pretty deep carpet right there. We're talk talking about Jim. Aunt Tilly a lot in Oklahoma, yeah. Yes, sir. Well, we're talking with Jack Roller, uh, one of the guys I looked up to in this sport for a long time, still do. Uh, I'm honored to hear that. Well, you know, if you, if you do business right, if you take care of one another, uh, it's real evident the care and love that you and your family gave to Danny and Dolores Hodge and, uh, uh, you know, putting him in the spotlight as so he so richly deserved. Uh, he just absolutely glowed in being able to entertain those kids, show them his fits of strength. And by the way, the entire uh, uh, hardware community is much greater, um, and, and they don't miss uh, having Danny come into their stores. I mean, more pairs of pliers were snapped by this uh, one-time Olympian. You can literally, with one hand, grab a pair of pliers and break it. I mean, he's that strong. Now that big, tough guy, though, Dan Hodge. Mm-hmm. One woman that could control him, and she told him to quit doing that because he <laughs> cut his hand one time. You know the story. You've probably heard I, it a hundred I times. I've forgotten that one. <laughs> it's funny how a big guy can be controlled by such a wonderful woman like Dolores. It's easy, though, when you are so in love with each other. And I, they were, I, yeah. I, I tell the story, you know, Danny and Dolores always say, Scott, stop by anytime you're in Perry. 
you know, the, it's the way they would talk. And so one time I took them up on it. I was on my way to Stillwater and doing an event at the uh, National Wrestling Hall of Fame. And yeah. uh, I, I, I stopped, and under the carport, there's the door to the kitchen, right? So I'm knocking on that door for quite a while, actually. And finally, Danny opens the door, and his shirt is untucked on one side on front, and his hands and shirt are covered with blood. And I said, oh, my God, Danny, what have you done with Dolores? <laughs> he'd, been, he, he'd been cleaning fish. <laughs> he thought it was funny too. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thank God he did. And I don't think Dolores heard it, so I'm sure she's uh, she's okay with it too. <laughs> I'll show you a few of those moves that he showed my boys up here in my living room. Mm, I got, you know, uh, that's one thing about the people of Perry, and they were so deserving of the new movie put out by Chase Leonard uh, about Perry and the legend that is the Price of Legacy. Uh, that is, you know, Perry was largely one of those, uh, towns put on the map, uh, by the great land grab and people don't maybe understand what the great, great land grab was, but people lined up for miles, uh, to, to, uh, have a chance to stake their claim, uh, for very low cost, uh, or in some cases, no cost to a portion of the country that was largely unsettled. And Everybody thinks that was Guthrie, you know, which is that's right. By Perry, but. but it was a tiny, what has become tiny Perry population, 5,000. Yeah. And uh, to think that, you know, so many great wrestlers have come out of this small community. What an honor it must be to break into the, uh, the starting lineup of Perry High School. Uh, you would know better than I, but this is uh, one of the reasons why Oklahoma State Oklahoma, both are such very good schools where the Oklahoma Stars are coming right along. But, you know, we're seeing the history of it in front of our very eyes in this new film by Chance Leonard as well. What are your thoughts about uh, all the films and documentaries? I've got one coming up on, on that I'm in with uh, Couture uh, called uh, uh, For the Love of Catch, Catch Wrestling, what was popular, you know, at the turn of the century and beyond. Uh, and what is now known as pro wrestling, but going back to the purity of the sport with Kern Jacobs. So what is your take on that? Are, are we doing a, a, uh, a good job of advancing our history? Well, I think it's all about that, keeping things alive, you know, and it's just like we just went up to see Crazy Horse and up there, that statue. And, oh, yeah. You know, trying to keep that alive, the history of, you know, their history. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's what we need is more promotion of that. Mm-hmm. But of writing all the books and, you know, the Mike Chapmans of the world and people like that. Uh, you know, my gosh, without the history, to me, we have nothing. That's right. We're condemned to repeat ourselves if we don't really study it. Somebody said that before, and I can't remember who it was, but you're right. If we, if we <laughs> ignore the history or our history, we're condemned to repeat it. And goodness knows, for all the mistakes I make in one day, I don't want to repeat any of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to, How is the the uh, Trinity winners, uh, to become a Trinity winner, what must one accomplish? Well, we think it's one of the toughest things to, to be accomplished. Uh, you know, the kickoff has to be won. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter how many points you get or how high you get, but you have to win it. Tulsa Nationals the same way, which amazingly has been promoted as the toughest tournament in the world about as long as I can remember. That's right. And uh, Reno Worlds is something that's now become one of the largest events in the country. 
and hopefully we get back there this year. Uh, all plans are to go back to Reno and get it going, even though we've moved it to Tulsa two years in a row now. But, uh, you know, the Trinity Award is the one that is probably the most coveted uh, that I can think of that anybody could win because you win really three super tough tournaments. There. That's right. And not many kids do that. I mean, it's from maybe 12 to 15 kids throughout the country that, you know, could actually win that award. Now yeah. we've got the girls, too, so right. that changes where whatever we're doing with the boys uh, or with the open wrestling, let me catch correct myself, with open wrestling, we're also doing now with girls. You must be pleased with the um, the intense growth we're experiencing with girls wrestling, women's wrestling in particular. Uh, but Briar Horton is uh, one of this year's Trinity winners, uh, 7G, 60-pounder out of Des Moines, Iowa, so we know of her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm scratching my head why the state of Iowa still hasn't sanctioned high school uh, state championship for girls. You know, they, sadly, Minnesota was... Uh, 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 Nebraska have all sanctioned it. Many other states are as well. But you've got Drishan Ross on the boys' side out of Fort Dodge, Iowa, 145-pounder, 12 years old. You know, the future looks bright for every single person, every single youngster that has won the Trinity Award. And if you don't think the college coaches are watching, they are. They I've actually it. had a few call me off and on. And, you know, is this kid really as tough as, you know, what it appears to be? And I said, well, you know, you win those three, yeah, he's pretty tough. And, yeah. Do you and, get... you know, an amazing thing happened this year off the subject. What's that? Bit, I have a tendency to do that, so you stop me when I do. <laughs> uh, you know, this year the kickoff was had more entries than what Tulsa Nationals did. Is that right? But both of them actually had record numbers this year. I love if that. If you're just talking Tulsa Nationals, not throwing in a novice event that we did along with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we added a high school division to the kickoff, and that exploded. And uh, so that's why the kickoff had like 2,600 kids, and Tulsa Nationals had 2,500 kids. But there was no high school division in that. And, you know, we're all about trying to get the, each bracket to have good numbers so people won't be disappointed when they you of course, have, it's hard to be disappointed at Reno Worlds when you've got 3,400 to 3,800 kids wrestling. <laughs> you're going to have an endurance test. It's like losing at Fargo first or second round and having to come all the way back. Right. You know, it's the same thing. I mean, look at how many matches if you lose. We figured that up one time. I think it was 16, 18 matches. Guy's got to win if he's lost the first round at a, you know, 156-man bracket or something. That's stuff we experience at Reno. Yeah, to wrestle back is so darn difficult. You got to put that loss aside and, and regroup. Mm-hmm. Not with your not just with yourself, but with your coaches and everything. You got to take a look at what you did wrong, what mistake you might have made, uh, that others were able to capitalize on. But that's where these tournaments become so very important. That's where you put the steel in uh, a kid's walk. Uh that's where you put the heart right out there on the sleeve. Now with the, uh, I think you and I talked about this when it was just starting, about the addition of girls and what we expected it to be. I had no idea it was going to get this big so quickly. Did you? Well, we thought the vision, we had the vision, but we, you know, and here's the amazing thing. I wanted to backtrack to that anyway. Sure. 
is after this year, or last year, I guess, we really started seriously doing everything the same as we could. You know, it's hard to do the same big, huge awards for for the girls sometimes when we're just getting started. Right. You know, but we are crawling. We're we're trying to get there. We're you know, and we're but we're trying to make sure now that all the awards are the same. And and what the amazing thing I noticed was that once we started doing every tournament we do, we have a girls' division. You know, then we got to thinking, well, you know, it's going to filter up. You know, from these parents and moms and dads hollering at the. Uh, the OSSAA, Oklahoma Secondary Schools, and all of a sudden now they had a, a girls' state championships this year. Yep. So, I mean, it, it, I know we had a very tiny part to do with it, but we think some of that pressure probably from people saying, hey, let's make this equal for the girls as well as the boys. And, and I think that had a little bit to do with it, the fact that we started doing it at all of our events. You know what, Jack? We're up against the clock, but I have to tell you, my friend, you and your family are my Trinity winners of all time. You guys have given uh, an opportunity for these kids to excel, to become even better than they thought they could be. Up against the clock, Jack. Best to uh, Shane, your wife, everybody. World of Wrestling, folks. WorldofWrestling-Roller.com online. And that's how you can find out more information. The 2021 Kickoff Classic coming up. Tulsa Nationals, National Youth Duels and the Reno Worlds. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you, Jack. All right. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. May God bless you. There you go. This program has been brought to you in part by Wild Rose Casino and Resort, here.com, by Trent Weatherman, your Northwestern Mutual Financial Consultant, by Defense Soap, by Mullet's Restaurant, by Barbarian Apparel, Matt Kullenberg's PBS Landscaping, by Paul Szynski and Jim Sinclair, by Don Boyd, by Advantage Physical Therapy, Mark Cody and his Presbyterian College Blue Hose Wrestling Program, and by Hassle Free Marketing, and by Stalemate Channel on YouTube. By the way, he'll make his return to the show next week. Zach Bogle, up next, next week, on USA Takedown, where the legends live.